Health is the greatest possession. Contentment is the greatest treasure. Confidence is the greatest friend. Surgeons can cut out everything except cause. Let's talk. It's 2021, and we talk about mental health more openly than ever. The stigmas that surround mental health slowly disintegrate in the waves of rising awareness, but the ocean remains vast between knowing when to get help and actually getting it. And this remains stubbornly and alarmingly true, especially in the case of Asians, both in home countries and those who live in Western societies. Today, I specifically want to address the importance of cultural understanding when addressing mental health issues. In the 20th century, health was defined as an absence of illness. Now it's been replaced by a model that emphasizes the role of socio-cultural forces that play a role in shaping health. Health is a complex and multidimensional thing, and you, as a social being, are also. So how can you define culture? In a number of ways. Structures, institutions, shared values, traditions, a way of engaging in social life, ideas that are shared implicitly and explicitly among members of that society. As you can imagine, deciding how culture plays a role in empirical work isn't always easy. But regardless, it is still imperative to understand cultural differences when it comes to health. Culture influences how someone might show symptoms, communicate their symptoms, or try to cope with psychological difficulties. It can affect how willing they are to seek treatment and where they might seek treatment. There's a lot of pressure that occurs from trying to cultivate one's ethnic and cultural background while also trying to adapt to the more individualistic culture of Western societies. Now, we know culture can't be broken down into just this or that, but for the purposes of understanding this point, we'll simplify here into individualism and collectivism. Individualistic cultures, like predominantly seen in the UK or the US, prizes the independent self, having personal autonomy and self-expression. You are responsible for your decisions and your actions. These cultures focus the positive outcomes that they hope for, rather than the negative outcomes they hope to avoid. Don't miss a chance. You choose the relationships in your life. And if you realize that you're the captain of your ship, why, you can sail anywhere that you like. In collectivistic cultures, the self is interdependent, embedded within the social context, and defined by social relationships and your belonging to the group. The Korean language itself reinforces this idea. The grammar structure changes accordingly to who the person is in relation to you, not reliant on how you might think or feel about them. Decisions are influenced by social obligations and the fulfillment of the group's expectations. You want to fit in and maintain social harmony. It's better to miss the opportunity and avoid social disruption than to make a mistake and disappoint others. Avoid the negative outcome rather than strive for the possible positive outcome. Though a severely limited view of how cultures influence an individual, already we can see how there may be factors leading to mental health issues and why Asians, mixed Asians and Asian immigrants might not seek out help. Some common sources of stress speaking about mental health may be a taboo. It's better to dismiss or deny issues because of negative stigmas surrounding mental health. Rooted in Confucianism, the idea of your ability to care for your family is equitable to your personal value. If you're mentally ill, well then how can you take care of your parents? Mental illness may be perceived as poor parenting or genetic flaw that's passed down, and that would make your parents look bad, or you as a defunct being, right? Traditional Asian culture might suggest that mental health problems exist because, well, you cannot control yourself. And because of that, it's shameful that you would reveal your issues to the public. 
Looking at Asian minority groups in Western countries, there's an extra layer of difficulty that weighs it down. Discrimination, language barriers, trying to balance two different cultures and a bicultural sense of self. The different struggles that first-gen immigrants might have faced compared to their second-gen children. The inability to speak to your parents about your issues, either because of language barriers or a traditional Asian mindset to save face, or maybe they just simply can't understand what you're going through. Sometimes, first-generation family members might not even recognize that their child is having mental health problems until it's much too late. The Virginia Tech shooting is a common example. This is a common thing I've heard from friends. I don't want to tell my parents because it will worry them. Because they're stressed enough already. Because they sacrificed so much for us to get where we are. So how could I let them down like this? This internalization of stress and guilt can manifest in many ways, like in depression or in anxiety. And if you've heard of the model minority myth, this is a view that portrays Asian immigrants as successfully integrating into mainstream culture and having overcome the challenges of racial biases. But this tends to hide historical influences and it allows society, media, powerful figures in the system, all to overlook the trauma that exists in many of the lives of Asian immigrants. Trauma that can carry through generations. Media already tends to portray Asians as one-dimensional, uncomplicated, we're doctors, industrious, integrated. And trying to live up to that stereotype when there's a simultaneous dissonance with reality, well, it can split your mind in half. There's an assumption in mainstream psychology that talking about yourself and your issues will make you feel better, which could be true. But oftentimes, especially Koreans, tend to speak about their mental health symptoms in terms of physiological symptoms. I'm dizzy. I have headaches. I can't sleep well. A Western-studied psychiatrist might prescribe sleeping pills. But does this address the root of the cause? Because the Korean person might not actually be addressing the emotional issues at hand, but deflecting into physical symptoms since that's more acceptable to talk about, especially with a stranger. Health disparities in the form of discrimination and prejudice can be tackled by having an understanding of the cultural basis of such problems. In 2021, Seoul National Hospital held a seminar on the enhancement of mental health in the society and resolving prejudices. They asked, why aren't Korean people going to the psychiatrist? After all, among the OECD countries, South Korea ranks among the lowest of happiness and the highest of suicide rates. The reasons I mentioned already play a major role, as well as the country's history. During the Japanese occupation, psychiatric patients were considered violent and dangerous, and they were removed for social hygiene. In the 1960s and 1970s, the government labeled mental illness as abnormal. They, those people were potential criminals. The government wanted to build a healthy and whole society, so the abnormal people had to be removed for the sake of the country's overall happiness. Sound familiar? Mixed kids were being adopted out of the country in droves during this time. Here, collectivism plays a role. There are inevitably going to be those who don't fit inside that concept of the desired singular image, then place that against the cultural fear of being different. It's imperative that we talk about mental health, coupled with cultural understanding. I can't be your psychiatrist, I can't give you all the answers. But what I can do is introduce an open discussion about how to get help, what might constitute as a need, and the importance of talking about your mental health, my mental health, specifically as someone who is multiracial or in a mixed home.